1: Hello, and welcome to World Weekly from the Financial Times. I'm Martin Sanbu. On the show this week, we'll be taking a look at how the crash in China's stock market has been spreading worldwide, and what impact the market turmoil may have on the global economy. In the studio with me to enlighten us is Chris Giles, the FT Economics Editor. And joining us down the line from Washington DC is Sam Fleming, our US Economics Editor. Chris, Things are changing so fast that anything we say could be overtaken by events by the time this is streamed. But even with that caveat, can you give us an overview of what's happened recently in the markets and an update on where things stand right now?
0: Well, clearly the markets have been in a big funk, certainly over the past week or so, and a bit longer if you look at China. So the Chinese stock market went up into sky-high territory. I'm not going to go into the exact numbers here through the first few months of the year and has crashed back down to where it started or now quite a lot below where it started the year this week. And on top of some pretty bad Chinese economic data, particularly some bad export data over the summer, this has led the rest of the world to wonder whether China, which is on many of the best measures the world's largest economy, is now growing significantly slower than previously thought. And that's raised questions over the whole global economy, leading to other stock markets around the world falling very rapidly. Commodity markets, clearly as China's a very large commodity importer, falling very rapidly. The oil price falling below the levels of January and great uncertainty in the global economy again.
1: So that's what bloodshed everywhere, is it?
0: Well, Not yet in the data outside China, but pretty much bloodshed everywhere, although it's very volatile. On Tuesday, markets rose very strongly because there was a sense that the sell-off had been overdone.
1: So uh, what goes down goes up, we might hope. Sam, I assume you're packing your bags to follow the world's central bankers to Jackson Hole, where they have their annual meeting. Everyone's eyes, of course, are on the central bankers, especially those at the Federal Reserve. What's the take on all this market turmoil and the Chinese volatility, especially in the U.S. and in the Federal Reserve?
2: Well, yeah, Martin, it comes at a very sensitive time, doesn't it, for the Federal Reserve. It's really been spending the entire year priming the markets for an interest rate rise towards the second half of the year. And now this volatility erupts in China. It had a big impact, as Chris has been explaining, on the US markets now rallying uh, today. So volatility is the word, but there clearly has been over the past few days a reduction in the US stock market. That has important wealth effects potentially in the US, bigger wealth effects than it might might do in other countries because equities are quite widely held in the US. So the Fed doesn't necessarily want to react immediately to stock market gyrations, but it certainly is part of the picture. And more broadly, I think the way the Fed will look at this is to try and assess how significant not moves in the Chinese market are, which is something of a casino market, not with huge implications for the global financial system, but more how significant a slowdown is now underway in China. If there is a genuine serious slowdown which will have knock-on effects around the emerging markets and potentially significant downward effects also on commodity prices. And that does uh, seem like something that is relevant to the Federal Reserve as it considers whether to raise interest rates as soon as September.
1: Yeah, because a lot of people were expecting them to do it already next month. Is that completely off the agenda now? No,
2: I think that will be premature. I think we're getting down to the wire, really. The Fed doesn't want to find itself in a position on September 17th where markets are more or less pricing out the chance of a rate hike, but it still thinks that it might be an option. It doesn't want to telegraph clearly we are going to do it. It's trying to get away from that very, very concrete forward guidance, but it also doesn't want to be wildly out of whack with the markets. I think if we still are in a state of significant market volatility in the middle of September, then clearly the Fed won't want to add to that by hiking rates. But if the volatility has settled down dramatically and then we get a good core inflation reading later this week, and then a very, very good payrolls number in early September for the August jobs numbers, then I think perhaps some on the Fed will certainly say, well, maybe we should be considering a September rate hike. I think having said all that, clearly what's been going on in the past few days in China and globally reduced the chances of a September hike substantially.
1: It is one of the questions the Fed has to deal with, isn't it, how much it has to take into account international developments rather than purely domestic ones. Chris, it is striking, isn't it, that market turmoil in China, granted it's become a big economy, should be, seem to be so important for markets elsewhere and for policymakers elsewhere. But you were suggesting a lot of this really is the surface. And if you go further in depth, there's something going on in the real physical Chinese economy.
0: Well, of course, we never entirely know with the real physical Chinese economy. But what we do know is it was growing at over 10% four or five years ago annually. And that's down at least on official figures to 7% and is likely to slow considerably further. China gets bigger and bigger. So that doesn't necessarily mean the amount of demand it gives to the rest of the world economy is declining at that sort of rate. But there are fears that with the Chinese economy, it was growing initially on exports Then it moved after the global financial crisis to be primarily driven by domestic investment and particularly real estate investment and that has stopped and when you have an economy that has such a high level of investment share you know you're vulnerable to sudden changes in confidence and changes in animal spirits which might mean that people don't want to spend and so you could suddenly find you're in quite a difficult position. I think we are too early to say this. We also have summer schools and markets. So to say that this is the start of another global financial crisis or another global downturn, it's far far too early to say that, but you could see ways that it might be.
1: Sam, how much does the US economy really depend on the Chinese economy aside from psychological factors in the markets and so on which, you know, can go one day one way, one day and the other way the next? How much real dependence is there on Chinese economic activity?
2: Yeah, I think that's an important point to make. The US, first of all, is not a highly open economy. Exports are around 13% of GDP. You know, that's way lower than, for example, Germany, where it's closer to 40%, or China, which is a quarter of the economy, is, is driven by exports. So it's not a highly open economy, and of its exports, a fairly small amount go to China, around a third go to emerging markets, and only about 5% to China. So if there is a substantial slowdown in the Chinese economy, then it's not necessarily a direct impact on trade per se. It's obviously important for big multinationals, which have a lot of business in China. So that's relevant. There's also just the knock-on effect for the global economy of a Chinese slowdown, which could then reverberate more indirectly round to the US. And certainly the US Federal Reserve can't ignore that. I mean, China has been, as Stephen King from HSBC put it earlier this week, the consumer of last resort in recent years, a huge consumer and a huge driver of what growth the global economy has been saying if that is now beginning to be taken off the table then that's clearly relevant for all economies including the US.
0: We do need to be a little bit careful about talking about China as the consumer of last resort. It still has a very large net export surplus and even though it's smaller than it was a few years ago it isn't in the way that the US has been and was in the past the consumer of last resort. It isn't like that, and I think it's sometimes misleading to say that. In in fact, one of the things I think that really is the case is that the world matters more to China than China matters to the world, partly because of its export position. And what we would like to see happen in China, and what the Chinese authorities also want, is for the Chinese economy to rebalance towards domestic consumption. But that is a very, very difficult and very long-term process. So I think for other advanced economies a lot of this does depend as sam was saying entirely on the indirect causes not the direct causes for the uk for example just like in the us the uk export share to china is point. 5% roughly. So it's much less than 1% of GDP in exports. So you could lose all your exports and you would still not have a recession
1: in the UK, for example. So you both seem to be saying the same thing, that at least the direct economic effects of a China slowdown maybe are a little bit overrated. It does put into perspective the hopes of some politicians that China will be the big market that will save our economies in the future. Just one final topic, which is the exchange rate. Politicians make a lot out of this, especially in the US, as Sam no doubt will be following. But Sam, what you were saying about the not very great effects of China on the US economy, does that mean the exchange rate, which the Chinese have just let drop? Does that mean that's sort of a red herring?
2: Well, it's clearly, as you alluded to, politically charged the dollar-yuan rate. is a continual source of gripes for US politicians has been in recent years. I think in terms of the Fed, it looks at the broader trade-weighted dollar, not just the dollar-yuan rate. And frankly, the dollar rate has been a major issue for the Fed, a major headache. It's up 15% since June of last year. It really peaked in March, and that derailed any chance of a hike in the first half of the year. It's since then been kind of meandering back and forth, hasn't really broken through a new high. But clearly, if we do get new signs from the Federal Reserve that they're ready to hike rates, that could give an upwards leg. And that is a genuine issue, partly because of the impact on trade, but also because of the impact on inflation. And really, it's inflation that's the Fed's real problem right now. It's got two mandates, maximum employment, which we're getting towards, but also targeted inflation at 2%. And they're really nowhere near that at the moment. And I think that's going to be one of the big themes of Jackson Hole towards the end of this week. Where is inflation? Why is it so persistently low? And if it remains low, why is the central bank considering rate hikes?
1: So if there is a problem with the US exchange rate, at least it seems like a problem more made in Washington than in Beijing. Chris, do you think the renminbi, the Chinese exchange rate, is important? These moves towards letting it be a little bit more market-based?
0: I think where we are over the last few years is the Chinese currency has moved up with the dollar. So, in fact, they appreciated a lot. And the depreciation we've seen as they made it more market-based is, at the moment, tiny. So it's not going to be something that will create huge changes in global trade patterns. Were it to continue, then we might want to worry about it significantly more. But 3%, 5%, not a big change in the Chinese exchange rate, in their own trade rate exchange rate, relative to the very, very large appreciation they've seen over the last few years.
1: But the fact of the change may still have rattled market. Would you think Uh, that's not part of it?
0: It was clearly part of it. It was clearly one of the things that changed the market psychology that Mm. people thought that maybe this is the china moving away from its rebalancing program to going back to a uh, export led strategy for growth, which of course can't exist in China anymore because China's simply too large to grow its economy through exports. That just won't work because the rest of the world isn't big enough as a counterpart to the Chinese exports. There aren't enough imports in the rest of the world for China to grow its economy through exports any longer. So I think that was a mistake from the markets, thinking this was a very significant change in policy. But it does highlight the dilemma in China that if you're finding investment difficult to generate because people are uncertain and you're finding it difficult to rebound towards consumption, then you might want to fall back on exports, even though you know in your heart of hearts it isn't the route to salvation for your economy.
1: Well, clearly the economic policy decisions are difficult and psychology is driving a lot of the market turmoil. That suggests to me we'll see a lot more of it. That's all we have time for this week. Thanks to Sam Fleming in Washington and Chris Giles in the studio here in London with me. Till next week. Goodbye.
2: If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you might like to try our FT News podcasts, which focus on one of the main issues of the day and bring you the insights and expertise of our global network of journalists, as well as outside contributors. You can download these at ft.com podcasts most days of the week.
1: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant.